following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Ready to get into the Word? Great. Thought I had the wrong crowd for a second. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's start with this. Uh, anybody here, let's just do a little survey. How many pe- people here are dating? Just raise your hand if you're dating. Any dating? Dating? Come. Aw- awkward when only one of the two in the couple raise their hand, right? That's, aw- that's, that's a little awkward. My, I learned from my son, actually, I was having, a, he's a student down um, in the States, and uh, he was talking to me about a young lady that he had kind of get, gotten to know a little bit, and then they'd gone out like on a date, and then... They had the DTR. How many of you know what the DTR is? They had the define the relationship conversation, correct. And um, the definition didn't go the way he wanted it to go. But uh, it, it's, um, the, 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 uh, the define the relationship conversation is so important so that uh, the two people in the relationship can know where they stand with each other. And in fact, not just in the early days of dating, but kind of throughout up until the time you get married, Cheryl and I are coming up on 24 years, I think the relationship's been defined. And it's not, you know, it's not really a conversation that we need to be having with each other. But in the early stages, you want to have the DTR. You want to define uh, the relationship so that you know where you stand with each other. In fact, that principle, I would just say, applies in all kinds of relationships, not just in a dating relationship. It would apply in the workplace. It would re- apply even in parent-child relationships sometimes, in friendships. Sometimes we just need to define the relationship so that we know where we stand with people. Because often we're uneasy with that, or we don't know exactly where we do stand with one another, and it really does betray the challenge that we have in all human relationships. Now, I'm not really that interested, at least not in this message, in talking about that in terms of all these horizontal relationships, but it gets us thinking about where we are with our God. Because most of us, I would say, at some point in our walk with Christ, need to have a define the relationship conversation with the Lord. Because so many Christ followers that I know struggle with knowing where they stand with God. We could agree that God knows exactly where he stands with us, amen? But we, on this side of the relationship, really struggle to know, where do I stand with the Lord? On the one hand, we know some things. We know know that we have been, and again, I'm talking to Christ followers, we know that, that our sins have been forgiven. We know that those sins are not going to be counted against us. We know that we belong to him. We know that we have a heavenly home that we're heading toward. We know that we have an inheritance from the Lord that is beyond anything we could possibly imagine. We know all of that. And then we also know that we sin. And we grieve the Holy Spirit, as we see in Ephesians 4.30. We know that we can quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And so we wonder at times, where exactly do I stand with God? Yes? How do I know where I'm at with Him in my relationship? So we're concluding this short series, a four-message series on the Holy Spirit today. And we want to talk about this matter of the Holy Spirit's work in us uh, to sanctify us or to set us apart. And this is really going to help us know where we stand with the Lord. We want to come away from today having a complete assurance that we have been... These These verbs are so important. That we have been and are being set apart for Him. That we have been and are being sanctified, made righteous by the Holy Spirit. We can be absolutely assured of where we stand with our God. I want to help you get that assurance today from God's Word. Let's pray and get right into the Scriptures. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for... First of all, uh, Father, sanctifying this time, setting it apart for this. We thank you for the start that we've had. We anticipate so much more uh, that you would have for us 
uh, during our time together here. I pray, God, that uh, you would make it clear to us what we need to hear from the Word. Father, I love the fact that you are a God who cares about each one of us. You're uh, not looking uh, down on us uh, simply as a group, as the church, but Father, you're looking into each individual heart. You know the cares, the struggles, the heartaches of this past week. You know where we struggle in understanding where we stand with you. And uh, Father, I know that you can take the word of God today that's spoken to all and you can penetrate the heart of each one personally and individually. And so God, do uh, what only you can do in this place. Uh, Reveal your word to us, convince us of it, and draw us closer uh, to you. We pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Holy Spirit works to sanctify me. Let's look at this first. By purifying me, I'm increasingly, hopefully you can say this for yourself, I'm increasingly displaying the righteousness of God. I think it would be um, good for us to notice this continuous, active emphasis of what we're talking about here. Increasingly displaying. We really are talking about a process here. Now, before we get too much into that, though, I want to define this word sanctify or sanctification. To sanctify uh, means this, if you're taking notes, uh, as I've already said, to set apart. It's to take something and separate it from other things. That's what it means to sanctify. In a theological sense, it means uh, to be made or to be making holy. And so, um, I think this will be helpful to us, again, in terms of understanding where we're at and where we're going and the whole process of this. Let's look at um, sanctification in terms of my position. Two ways that we're sanctified. Uh, In position, a Christ follower is eternally set apart for God by the finished work of Christ on the cross and is holy and righteous in their standing before God. If you're writing that down, you can write down the word, it's done, it's done, it's already finished. I'm eternally set apart, that's established. Uh, For God, it's on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Not by anything I've done, not because I have anything that commends me to God. I don't have anything that commends me to God, it's entirely His work. And therefore, I am in God's sight, holy and righteous before Him. That's awesome, amen? That that God would give us that. That's the gift of salvation. And it is, as I said, done. Now, in experience, that's in position. But in experience, sanctification sounds like this. A Christ follower is, uh, in experience, a Christ follower is continually being set apart for God by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit and will be increasingly displaying the righteousness of God in their walk with Him. See, now it's, it's more where we live. It's more the on-the-ground, daily grinding out my walk with Him. Positionally, full confidence in who I am in Christ. Uh, in reality, down here on earth, still trying to get there and to fully reflect the image of Jesus Christ in my life. Now, all that said, so that we have an understanding about what we're talking about when we talk about sanctification, it's really two things. Uh, But as we um, look again uh, to the message and what we're seeing here, the Holy Spirit working to sanctify me by purifying me, this is something that I need. It involves an initial purification. And at the time that you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are coming to Him impure. You're coming to Him with your sins. No one comes to Jesus Christ. We don't just fall into this thing. It isn't just on the basis of, I, I want Jesus to be my friend. It's, it's, I need to come to Him and confess that I'm separated from Him, that I am a sinner. No one's coming to Jesus unless they confess that they've personally messed up. I'm not coming to Jesus to fix my, uh, my circumstantial problem that I'm having. That can be the catalyst for bringing to me to Jesus. But listen, I'm, I'm coming into a relationship with Christ because I'm confessing that I'm the one with the problem. 
It is that I've sinned. I need to be purified. Now, let's get to the scripture because I've said a lot already and we haven't even looked at the Bible and that's always a problem. Uh, so, uh, a- amen? It's the word that the authority, where the authority is, amen? It's, it's in what God says. And so John 16, uh, John 16, 4 to 11, I really, you know what, I don't want to read the whole passage here, but I want to get down to one specific phrase. We've looked at this verse, this, this passage already earlier in this series, but it was the Spirit's work in convicting us, you'll see it there, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. I mean, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He's convicting us. He's convincing us of these truths. He's telling us where we're at with God. The Holy Spirit, in essence, is having the first part of the define the relationship conversation. You're separated from God. You don't have a relationship with him. And uh, you need to know that you're a sinner. You need to know that you're not righteous. You need to know that there's a judgment coming. And so we need to be cleansed of that sin. We need to be forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ if we're going to stand before him. And so this message on sanctification, the process of becoming like him, it's not actually a message for everybody in the room because some of you are not followers of Christ yet. You haven't yet confessed your sin. You haven't yet been purified. Today could be your day. Today could be the day that you do find the forgiveness of your sins and you find the cleansing and purification that comes from him. And I hope that would be true for many here. And so not everybody gets it. And that was clear, in fact, in Acts chapter 7. I love this passage. And again, I don't want to look at the whole thing, but Acts chapter 7, verse 51, this is in the middle of a sermon that Stephen is preaching. As far as we know, Stephen only ever preached one sermon. It makes him, in fact, uh, we would look back and go, well, it doesn't sound like he had a very prosperous, successful, or fruitful preaching career, but in fact, he probably had one of the most successful preaching careers. And his sermon, of course, is recorded for us in the Scriptures. Some people think... Some people mistakenly think that I'm really direct and forceful in my preaching. And I'm really a pansy next to Stephen. Because in verse 51, he says this to his audience. And to my recollection, I've never said anything like this to people here. But he says, you, after he kind of delivers the whole thing, he says, You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you people, you always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did. You know what happened to Stephen at the end of the sermon, right? He got stoned. Is anyone surprised? I mean, he laid it out, and, and then he, he sliced and diced those who were opposing this message of the gospel. But there are people who are exactly like this. They're stiff-necked. They, they, they rear up and they become rigid and determined and they dig their heels in in the face of the gospel. I've seen them right here on Sunday mornings. I've preached to some of them. I've seen the look in their eyes. I've had some of them come up and talk to me after a service and thought, I'm going the way of Stephen. When this guy reaches the front. And you've spoken the gospel to some of them and, and, and met the resistance. And these are those who are unpurified despite their need to be cleansed. They resist, it says right here, they resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Though many others responded to Stephen and respond to the gospel. Many, many of you here. And I love, again, a passage we looked at earlier, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Paul says uh, to his readers in Corinth, As such were some of you. You resisted. You were sinful. You needed cleansing. And he goes on to say, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So many in the room, that's your testimony. You have been cleansed and purified. You understood and believed the message of Christ. You confessed your sin. And be sure, this, what we have here, is a definitive word. We understand this purification 
that has come to us is not the result of any of us cleaning up our own lives. That's the way of religion. That's, that's works righteousness. And none of us affected this on our own. This is entirely and completely the work of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why on a message about assurance of who we are in Christ and defining that relationship. This is why we can be sure. Because it doesn't depend on us. Because in this room, if we were to do a head count and get the exact number of people in the room, that would exactly be the number of people that would screw up their own salvation if it was up to them. We can't earn it on our own. We can't maintain it on our own. Salvation is completely and entirely the work of Jesus Christ. Give me a verse, Todd. Got it. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's work in us that cleanses us. And when you came to Christ, especially not to minimize the salvation decision of those who made it when they were children or even as young people, but, but when you're an adult and you've lived some of life and you've known some of the heartaches and you've known your own sin, I mean, you know the truth of what it means to be cleansed and released from your sin. To feel, I've heard so many testimonies, people, I felt like it rolled off my back. And I was no longer carrying that sin burden anymore because the Holy Spirit relieved me of it. And so the righteousness I have is what, and if you like taking notes and having fancy words, this is what theologians call imputed righteousness. It's imputed righteousness. It means it doesn't come from me, it's entirely a work of God. And in effect, what has happened when Jesus Christ saves us, he takes his own righteousness and he puts that righteousness on us. And so when we stand before God, we literally say, I'm righteous because I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in me. The perfection of God himself is what characterizes me. And that gives me such confidence before him. You might say, and I get this, and again, this is the back and forth thing. I don't feel very pure. Well, some of you feel pure. pure. You didn't raise your hands. I don't feel cleansed. I still feel like I'm dealing with so much sin issue in my life. And I get that. We all should. Maybe this will help. President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation on January the 1st, 1863. If you're a student of history at all, if you know the Civil War at all, you'll know that that Emancipation Proclamation was declared in the midst of the Civil War. In fact, it was very much a tactic used by President Lincoln to try and rouse more of the African slaves to fight on behalf of the Union and to help win the war. But Lincoln declared this he announced that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious areas are and henceforth shall be free. Now, it's one thing to make a proclamation. There was still a lot of war to be fought. And the reality of American history is this, and we're not a whole lot different, though we didn't have slavery here by that time. Um, but the reality is that the proclamation was made, the war still had to be fought and won, and for decades and decades and decades, America still reflected a pretty deep racism towards African Americans. And many would even say today that despite the fact that President Obama is in the White House, that the racism is, is as alive and well as it ever has been, and maybe even intensified in some ways. And so the... the the proclamation is made. The reality is the slaves are free. We've declared it to be so. But the reality on the ground, the experience of the nation is, they're still working on that 140 some years later. And that's true in our lives. 
we're free, we're purified, we're righteous, the, the emancipation proclamation of our personal spiritual lives has been made. But we're still trying to make it a reality in our daily lives. So what does that look like? How can I measure it? How do I know I'm making progress? How can I be more like Jesus? How can I reflect greater purity from day to day in my life? Well, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And I know we're putting verses up on the screen, but I want you to see this in the text. I want you to have your Bibles open to this passage. And I know that in your small groups this week, you're going to be uh, working on a little exercise around these verses. This is the fruit of the Spirit, what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. It's, the Holy Sp- it's evidence of the Holy Spirit's purity uh, being manifested, showing up in our lives. This is what Paul says. The fruit of the Spirit is nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. These are the fruit that come off the branches of a tree that's planted by the living waters. This is the evidence of Christ's purity in your life. And do you have these week by week, month by month, year by year? Are these showing up in your life in increasing measure? It's really only a question that you can answer before the Lord and those around you who are closest closest to you in relationship, they're the only ones who can really answer this question. I thought it would even be helpful for us this week to get this passage in front of us and to be looking at these nine traits of a a believer who's who's increasingly being purified and say, um, what three of these am I really rocking? Maybe I'm a, a love, kindness, gentleness type of, type of person and those three fruit are really being produced in my life. I feel like I really am a gentle person and other people would say that. I really am a kind person. I give myself for others. I'm not very selfish. I, I put others before me so I really do genuinely love people. I'm kind of self-sacrificing that way. It's okay to feel that way. It's okay to have the Spirit working in your life that way to affirm those things. So just take three of those things and just say those three, those I would say are my strongest. And thank God for that. Genuinely get before him and say, thank you, God, for cleansing me and making me pure in these areas. Not that there isn't still work to do, but this, these are the three I would say are the strongest. And then take three that you would just go, meh, I am not sure if these are strong or weak, but I probably have some work to do in these areas, but, uh, but they're, they're doing okay. And then take the three, and I think for all of us, uh, this could be true. Just take the three that maybe are your biggest challenges. These ones I really need some work on. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a very patient person. And uh, Saturday I was thinking about this because I was in the parking lot at Costco. <laughs> what possessed me to get gas at Costco on Saturday? I have no idea, but clearly it was for a sermon illustration. So, you know, when all else fails, uh, uh, whatever happens, you can always be a sermon illustration. So uh, praise the Lord for that. But working on my patience and smiling at people and letting them in and uh, not getting frustrated with some idiot who, you know, <laughs> just saying, always kind of watch myself, make sure it isn't somebody from our church. And uh, <laughs> wondering I'm, why I'm not allowed to use the same gestures that other drivers use with me. I, I just, you know what I'm saying? Patience, just work it. That's probably one of the ones in my, you know, bottom three that I'm trying to work on. But affirm the things that are working right. Lay before the Lord's the things that are kind of not here or there, but then the three that are really the weak. Saying to the Lord, I still need to work on these things and give me some opportunities and put me in places and help me to understand what you're saying about this from your word so that I can live this out in an increasing way. All right. What else is involved in the Spirit's work to sanctify me? Uh, For sure we could say this, that the Spirit's work is always in tandem, always, always in tandem with the Word of God. I mean, God has given us His revealed, this is His revelation to us. 
This is how he's shown himself to us who do not have Jesus Christ right in front of us. And so God has given us his word so that we can learn all about him. And so he is, that is the spirit of God, is working in me for sanctification by illuminating me, giving me light. And I am eagerly living out the word of God. Now, illumination is the spirit's work in helping me understand the scriptures, but not just understand them. Illumination is the Spirit's work in helping me understand and apply the Scriptures. So that when I hear them taught, I begin to understand exactly how I'm supposed to live this out. I have a deeper level of understanding than simply a cognitive, intellectual understanding of the Scriptures. You see, a believer and an unbeliever can both understand the Scriptures. Both of them can understand the very concepts that we're talking about. The difference comes in actually applying them. The believer sees the teaching of God's word as truth and follows Christ. The unbeliever, according to the scriptures, sees the word of God as foolishness, rejects it, and continues going on his own path. And it's the Holy Spirit's work who does it. He's the one who does it. And so here this morning, as I'm teaching the Word of God, some of you are totally getting this. You're understanding it. You're believing it. You're ready to live it out. You can't wait to get to your small group and talk about it again. You're journaling it. I've heard about people who go back and they uh, will listen to the sermon again and again in order to make sure they got every part of it because they're so eager for the Word of God and to live it out. But there are also people here right now, and you're uh, hearing it, you're understanding everything I'm saying, but, but you don't have, uh, you don't have an, a desire at all to live it out. They have no intention of living this out. I don't know why you're here. I'm praying the Holy Spirit would eventually uh, seize your heart and help you to see it and bring you to a place of believing. I'm glad you're here. I just often don't get it. And I have to leave that with the Lord. But there are very distinctly people here who are being illuminated by God's Holy Spirit and some who are not. It's the Holy Spirit who brings us to us. Jesus said, John 16, 12 through 15. Again, I told you uh, previously that John 14 and John 16 are two big passages in terms of Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 12 through 15, when the Spirit of truth comes, notice three words here, three functions of the Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is guiding us today into truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, we could add in there, whatever he hears from the Father, and of course he's part of the Godhead, he is God, whatever he hears, he will speak. So the Holy Spirit will guide, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Guiding, speaking, Declaring this is the work of the Holy Spirit in helping us grasp the scriptures. Now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Another great passage here that helps us understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 9. This is what Paul writes. Page is still turning. Catch up. When we get there, we're going to keep rocking here. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed, that's the word apocalypse, the revealing or the revelation of himself to us, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? In other words, God is speaking to us at a much deeper level than simply at our ears and simply in our mind. Verse 12, so we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us. We have the Holy Spirit in us, so we'll get this. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, here's what I was just saying about those in the room who get it and those who don't. That's the spiritual person. They're getting it. They're hearing it. It's penetrating. They're understanding it. The natural person, verse 14, this person doesn't have Christ, 
does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Keep going. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are still not ready. There's still some of us who are resisting uh, what God would say to us in his word, even though we are the followers of Christ. It's still possible for us to have the Spirit indwelling us and to have that Spirit convincing us of the truths, but then for us to say, I don't think I'm going to obey that. I don't think I want to do that. I don't want want to be that person. And we resist the Holy Spirit's work, His speaking in our lives. So understand that this same Holy Spirit, and we haven't looked at it in this series, but let me say it here. In First Timothy, sorry, Second Timothy three sixteen, we find out that the that the Scriptures are inspired by God. Inspired, they are spiritually breathed out to us. They were breathed out to those who recorded the Scriptures. So they are inspired by God's Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter 1.21, we find out that holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to record the Scriptures for us. And so the Holy Spirit was involved in the creating, in the writing of this book. And now that we have it, its power to us is made apparent as the Holy Spirit, having inspired it, now illuminates it into our lives. And so the follower of Christ is going to be eager to read this book, to study this book, to memorize this book, to, to uh, as, as uh, Deuteronomy 6 says, to talk about it as we're walking by the way and when we're in our homes, to share it with one another. Did you hear what I read in the Bible? What about that thing we were talking about this week and, 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 and relating the scriptures and how it's changing our lives to one another? We're going to be eager to have the Word of God preached to us and taught to us. If we have this Spirit in us, we're going to be eager for these things. And and we're going to be uh, like, I can't wait for Sunday to get there and to hear uh, the Word of God preached again. I can't wait till tomorrow morning when I'm back in the Word and studying it for myself. I, I can't wait for my small group when we can talk about these things. We're going to be so eager to understand it to believe it, to be astonished by it, to live it. We're going to be eager to have the Word of God changing us and transforming us in our lives. We have to see, in order for this to happen, we have to see the beautiful, powerful tandem that God has created with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Sinclair Ferguson said this, Spirit without word, we blow up. Word without spirit, we dry up. Only with word and spirit will we grow up. You see, spirit without word is really a free-for-all. I have a word from God. I feel an impression from God. I don't test anything against the Scriptures. I'm always looking for a new revelation. I need God to speak to me personally. It leads me any way at all. And there are no limits. There's no, there's no boundaries on that. There's no objective standard. There's no revelation from the Lord that we can test and prove. And so it's a blow-up situation. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. Word without spirit, we dry up. Because then it's simply an academic textbook. It's just simply information to learn. I have knowledge about things, but it's not changing me because the Holy Spirit's not penetrating it into my heart and showing me where I need to change. But when you get word and spirit together, see, that's where the growth comes. That's where we increasingly become righteousness. Where we righteous, where we become more and more like the Spirit who is in us and the Lord 
who we name as our Savior. So we need to make a point of being in this book. And when you do get into the book, here's what I would just commend to you. Because we don't... I understand how hard it is to have kind of a daily time with the Lord or to prepare for your small group to be ready or even to be prepared for this. Every Friday we send out an email. We tell all of you in the, in the e-bulletin exactly where we're going to be in the scriptures and we try to encourage you to be prepared to be here on Sunday. But most of you, let's be honest, just showed up here today and had no clue what I was going to preach on. We try to tell you what the songs are going to be uh, for today and what other things are going to be happening in the service. Most of us come unprepared. It would be so much better for us if we really were prepared. And when we get the Bible open in front of us, that we would simply do this so that we recognize the Spirit's work in helping us understand and live out this book. It's just to simply pray before we start reading it. You see, I, I want to keep my daily devotions. I, I want to be able to tell my I want to be able to tell my accountability partner I read the Bible this week. Yeah? Some of you are smiling, but you're uncomfortable at actually acknowledging that you do that. Right? But I've done that. Oh, I got I got I gotta meet with my accountability partner. I better read the Bible today. And so we get the check mark, but really, has it changed us? Has it penetrated our hearts? Have we believed it? Or we just get those three chapters of Second Chronicles done so we can say that we did it. No clue what I read. But if before we actually open the book, we just said, God, today I know that I'm coming face to face with you again as I read this. And these are your words spoken to me. It's, the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's living. It's active. It's God's very voice to us. Or as my old, old, my former Old Testament prof used to say, every time we crack the book, we're staring into the face of God. So speak to him first and say, God, reveal yourself. Show me today by your Holy Spirit. Bring this book alive and these words alive into my life. All right, then this, the Holy Spirit works to sanctify me by assuring me I'm confidently resting in the promises of God. I started out as a religious person. I was never not a religious person. In my childhood, I was the kid who, being raised in an Anglican church where I never actually heard the gospel, but there was a lot of ritual. I was the kid who got on my bicycle apart from my parents going, and I would just go to church myself. They would go occasionally. I would go more often on my own. I was always a religious kid. I always knew there was a God. I would even talk to him. Uh, but I had no real sense that I had a relationship with him. And really the problem uh, with most religion is it's designed to bring you back time and time again without ever giving you an assurance that you have the thing that they're promising. I have to go back. I don't feel like I have it. Or I feel like I lost it this week. I need to go back again. Rather than the reason that we get together, we get together here because we love Jesus Christ. We want to tell Him again. Amen. We get together here because in telling Jesus how much we love Him, and just in the gathering together, it fires the rest of us up. That's why we come together. We're not coming back here together to try and kind of, uh, to, to kind of satisfy some angry God to try and figure out how we can be close to Him again. We are close to Him. He is our God. The question is settled if you're a follower of Christ. So religion merely fosters a dependency on ritual. And it never delivers, in any real sense, any relationship to us. So you have to keep going back and back and back again. And I, I love the certainty of what Jesus said to us in John chapter 10. The very first series I ever preached in this church back in 2001 was in John 10, about the sheep and the shepherd. Listen to these words. See, there's no doubt in these words. There's no doubt whatsoever. My sheep hear my voice. 
And I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. How much certainty is in the word never? Lots of certainty. I know for sure that this is never going to happen to me. I am never going to perish. I'm going to pass from this life to the next. But death is done for me. That's certain on the basis of my relationship with my God. Because I'm following Him. I know His voice. I know who Jesus is. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Nothing's going to change my standing before the Lord. I've had the define the relationship chat. I know exactly where I stand with Him. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch it. I love that he says it twice in case you missed it. Right? He says it twice because we do struggle with this. We don't know where we stand with God. Though we have such certain words in front of us. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We saw earlier in this series that at a time of our salvation, the Holy Spirit has sealed us. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him at the time of your salvation, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. We have the inheritance. We haven't yet fully possessed it. I am positionally in Christ, but I'm still inexperienced trying to work it all out. Do you see it back and forth every time? The inheritance is ours to the praise of His glory. Does all that sound pretty certain? Is it pretty certain? And then this declaration from Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Those who are genuinely His know they're His. We know the voice of Jesus. We know we belong to Him. Because the Spirit is inside of us testifying to it. Todd, you really do belong to God. Even when you're a total jerk. God still loves you. That happens fairly frequently for me. And we need to hear this because of that continual struggle with sin. Because if we weren't certain of our standing before God, we would just pack it in. This would be nonsense. This would be ridiculous that we're here again. It would just be empty ritual. It would just be religion. If we had no certainty, it would again just depend on us and what we're doing. God has moved us beyond that to give us a certainty. Even though we know the facts. These are the facts about my life. They're the facts about your life too. If you're a follower of Christ. I am saved. Fact number one. Fact number two. I still sin. We need to understand that we we belong to Jesus. And I, I love him. I love Jesus Christ. And I have the Holy Spirit in my life. You can make this confession your own. But I still lust. I still envy. I still lie. I still put other things in my life before God. I still gossip. I hear it coming out of my mouth and I go, what the heck are you doing? I'm greedy. still see anger crossing the line and becoming inappropriate the older I get the more my selfishness is clear to me and how life is about me and with all of that reality in my life what compels me to believe that I am still his is that all of that actually disgusts me about me 
And I want to change it. That's the thing. We know we have the Spirit because we know we're sinning. And we want to do something about it. Apart from the Holy Spirit telling me it's sin, it's not sin, it's just the way I am. It doesn't bother me, shouldn't bother you. But I have the Spirit and it does bother me. And so I'm not excusing my sin on the basis of this rock-solid relationship with God. I'm not excusing it in the least. But neither am I allowing the existence of ongoing sin in my life and stuff I'm working on to shake the assurance I have that I am in Christ. I am His. I do belong to Him. And this is huge for some here who you do struggle with your standing before God. That you are paralyzed with constant thoughts of, am I grieving the Holy Spirit right now? Am I quenching the fire of the Spirit in my life? I was so blessed by so much of what was said at Act Like Men a couple weeks ago. Uh, But Matt Chandler's message, I think, was among the most impacting for me. And um, I just love what he said. God delights in you despite who you are. You are fully known and fully loved. Amen to that? Man, thank you, Jesus, for that. He loves me despite me. He, he loves me though he knows everything about me. He went on to say, God is not in love with some future. I love this. God is not in love with some future version of you. I mean, this is, this is an area where I've actually struggled. I go like, I, I'm not in the greatest place today. I hope I'm in a better place five years from now and that God will love me more then. If only I could get to that place, then I think God would be more pleased with me. And what are we doing? I thought we were saved by the blood of Christ. Write that down. God is not in love with some future version of you. It's not you tomorrow that He loves and delights in. It's not you when you get your act together. If you believe that, Uh, that Christ's love for you is a future love for you, then you dismiss the cross of Jesus Christ. What we said before was the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When he said, it is finished, he meant it. He meant that it's finished for you, that your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from west, and, and, and your position before God is set and clear. His work is complete. Your eternal destiny, if you're a follower of Christ, it's set in stone. And you can be assured of that. You can rest in His promise. You can rest in the promises. Paul said it in the book of Philippians, that He who began a good work in you will complete it. He will. Rest in that. That's what the Holy Spirit would have you hear today. And have you believe. And have you rest in. That's his work of sanctifying us and continually setting us apart to greater and greater things. Here's how we're going to close this part of our service. And we've left a lot of our worship for the end here so that we could respond to this appropriately. The worship team's going to come up. And in a moment, I'm going to invite our communion servers to come up. And communion, as we know, Um, from Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians is something that we should not do without much thought and consideration. That none of us wants to be in in a place, and these are Paul's words, where we would eat and drink, eat the bread, drink the cup, in a way that would bring condemnation upon us. And so part of that is relationships with one another on the horizontal level, and part of that is making sure we're straight with the Lord on some things. And so I want to give you a time of prayer right now. No response up here to the front, but just where we are. Because I'm just really believing that this message is for everybody in the room. And so I want to give you some time to respond uh, to this uh, before we take the table. And it is probable that there are some here who are not yet in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, where you stand with Christ, because that's been the question... 
Where you stand with Christ is that you're outside of Christ, that you don't have a relationship with Him, that your sin is still in the way. And my heart for you today would be that you would have the conversation, that you would define the relationship between you and God, confessing your sin and admitting your need for a Savior. Some of you need to do that this morning. And you can do that right now, right where you are. Father, I am a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you. I need the forgiveness of sins. I believe that your son died on the cross for me and that he was raised to new life. Give me that life. Forgive my sins. Accept me into your family. Maybe that's your response. But maybe you're a follower of Christ. Some of you, your standing and position is secure. But your experience of Christ, you know where you stand. You know you're a follower. The Spirit is in you testifying to that. But there are some things in your life where you would just go, I I am grieving the Spirit. I, I know where I stand with Him, but I am grieving Him. There are some things I need to take care of. So maybe you would just pray in this moment that God would help you to continue to grow in righteousness. That That whether it's been slowed or whether it's at a full standstill and you're making no progress at all right now with the Lord, that you would confess that. You would put it before Him. And you would turn from that, redefining your relationship with Him and kickstart the process of being made holy again, allowing the Spirit to sanctify you further. So go to prayer right now. Our servers are going to come and they'll be standing here at the front. And when you're ready, when you're ready, we can take all the time we need here. When you've prayed, you've sought the Lord. You can come and receive the cup and the bread. Both of those cups will be together. The bread is in the bottom cup and the juice in the top cup. You can take that back to your seat. And again, when you're ready, you can consume that. The worship team's going to sing and play over us as we do this. Servers, you can come now. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.